welcome to this episode of Talking Teachers. My name's Emily DL and here's my co-host Oliver Wright. Hi Emily, it's great to be here. Really looking forward to this as well. Yeah, as usual, you're always looking forward to this. As always. I feel like that's all I ever say. Yeah, really looking forward to this. It's going to be really good. We've got a great guest, but how are you getting on though, Emily? I'm good. I'm good. I've had a bit of a busy week. What about you? Very, very. Yeah. We're, we're very busy at Twinkle Towers at the moment, aren't we? It feels like, I know everyone in schools feels at the moment as though they're almost sort of going at sprint pace, but it's a marathon to get to half term. Yeah. And uh, it feels like we're almost caught up in the same sort of busyness as well. So yeah, it'd be good to just take it easy this evening and, and have a good chat. I know, I do always feel a bit bad now that we're out of the classroom and out of the schools where we're saying we're, we're busy, but actually um, I do know how it feels to be that October busy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's crack on with today's show. We've got an amazing guest for you all today. We've got Sarah Davies. Hi, Sarah. We are right, good. We are good. We're dead, dead pleased to have you on here. We actually did a recording with you um, a little while ago and it all went wrong. It was a technological fault, but we've got you back today to talk to us about Oracy. Um, you've got a book about it you kind of do it as in your job day to day you've just had a new, new position in school so we've got lots to talk about today Sarah why don't you introduce yourself to us all and tell us who you are what you do uh, that'd be great oh fabulous thank you and thank you so much for having me as well I mean it is the definition of irony slightly that, that the entire focus of everything that I do at the moment is on the art of communication and we have really struggled um, <laughs> but... yeah you know what? It is, it is just so important. So my name's Sarah Davies and I am currently the assistant head teacher at a multi-academy and trust in the Northwest. Um, part of my role is obviously as the induction mentor we're overseeing at the moment. I'm, I'm really fortunate at the moment to be overseeing um, the new ECF, so the new Early Careers Teacher Framework um, and the teachers there for both some year one and year two with the pilot for it. We've also got apprentices, we've got PGCE students, we've got SCIT students. So we are really, you know, really looking at the next level of teaching and how we can improve on that one. Prior to that role, I was, of course, um, head of English at the same academy. So really, you know, I was kind of born and bred into to that school and what it's become at the moment as well. So that's um, that's my, my professional side of it. I've also had a book published that was called Talking About Oracy. Um, I was so fortunate when when the book was, you know, when, when I was writing the book and, and that was something that was developed over lockdown for me. It would allow me that chance to really get into the research side of it. Uh, but I was so fortunate as well to have a lot of um, professional colleagues and a lot of different people from different various forms of education contributed as well so what's really really important and significant to me is the fact that it's not just one voice and one person's perception of oracy in fact it is more than that um, I've also done articles for the head teacher for TES for SecEd as well and you know Recently, I, uh, I did my first ever live conference at Research Ed, which was uh, phenomenal. Um, it was. It was such an experience for me. So, yeah, no, that's that's I think that covers it. That's pretty impressive, though. That, that is impressive. Like a, I've got to say. Great. Yeah, it's a really good bio. Just thinking back, though, Sarah, your route into teaching wasn't particularly conventional, was it? Do you want to tell us how you ended up no. in the classroom or should I not even ask? Oh, see, my route into teaching was definitely one. I, I, sometimes you've got to, there's a fine line, isn't there, between um, resilience and stubborn mm -hmm. 
And I think there are times when I definitely, you know, I exhibited signs of, I was definitely my mother's daughter through a lot of the time. Um, you can't blame it all on her. Well, <laughs> try convincing her to do something. But it's very much, um, my route into teaching was, was unconventional. I, I went to university, obviously, I did journalism and with English literature. Um, during my time there, I was like, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to be a journalist. But then the end of university came and I, was, I wasn't that necessarily sure still of what I wanted to do with my life. So I became an outdoor activity instructor, met some phenomenal people, um, had some amazing, like, you know, experiences in that circumstance and started working very closely, you know, with children in those really quite challenging environments, but some challenging environments where you've really built up those rapport as well. So it kind of, it did stick with me, this idea of like, you know, working quite closely with, with children and young adults. Um, I then went into, um, oh, my days. I mean, I, I've, I've been in job queues. I've been at the job centre. But I also, um, I've sold windows and doors um, separate as well, actual windows and doors. Um, I, I've, you know, alas, I have been that person that has rang people up asking them for Google space. Um, you know, and, and you know, so I, I definitely went through quite a lot of different careers. Jack of all trades would definitely be the way to describe it. Um, and then what happened is, um, I was a recruitment consultant as well. So, um, I, I like, you know, my, my last kind of like, big job was uh, yeah I worked in Manchester city centre as a, as a recruitment consultant and then obviously that moment happens where you, you turn around and suddenly you realize that you're pregnant and then you go oh no okay <laughs> might need to actually sort like you know fig, figure some stuff out now so I started doing some research and, and there was a lot that went on at, actually at the same time that meant that it was basically me as a single parent um I was actually at the same time um I was being investigated because the, the doctors, like, unfortunately, they'd found a lump as well. So I was now thinking, oh, my God, um, what what kind of legacy am I going to leave? And I'll always remember that moment. I was like, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden it was the epiphany moment of, no, I need to get into teaching or at least yeah. something that will give me that kind of that professional development. And I knew that, like, you know, I, I, had, I had friends that had gone down the teaching route as well. So I was like, you know what, I can... I, I, you know, I can, I can do this. I can give this a try. I applied, but obviously my university life um, was, I've reflected a lot on that over time. And, you know, I, I, all right, I didn't come out with my full potential. Um, and as a result of that, a lot of the ITT providers, um, which is already given the fact of how I work and, and my role now. now, but yeah. yeah, given what my role is now, but a lot of the ITT providers wouldn't take me on that clause. Um, one of them, Edge Hill, bless them, um, really should have stopped speaking uh, because they, they, you know, it was like, well, we're not going to take you. Uh, we'd only ever take you anyway if you consider doing a master's. And I was all right, fine, I'll do that. So I, um, I did the HLTA course um just so that I could get into a school and start you know working as an unqualified teacher so that I could start bringing some wage in um and at the same time as that I then did my master's on a Wednesday night and I used to remember because I was working in Manchester and I used to then travel to Ormskirk on a Wednesday night it's um, not that close either is it no like you know so and I'm, I'm I'm not geographically like talented at the best of times but it's a fair whack of a drive after a full day yeah. um it's it's one of those as well when 
and you're so distorted and I do remember there were several phone calls because obviously like you know I just anyone like you know my my, my husband um luckily found him at the right time because I was like oh my god uh but but there were a lot of conversations where you know you, you almost work on autopilot don't you and yes and and and, and I was just so so there was two years it took two years to do my master's and then obviously Edge Hill were like oh okay yeah mm-hmm. now you can do your PGC um like, yeah. um and then yeah and I went from there really and and just developed my craft along the way developed as much pedagogical knowledge as possible as well because it's so important to to really embrace the fact that if you're not prepared to learn you're not prepared to teach so it was very much and I think actually the masters was one of the best kind of academic you know developments that I did for myself going forward to just really hone in this idea of look you know you've got that capability you've got the ability to apply yourself and you know, it, it, all of it has built me up to to the kind of the the practitioner, but also the kind of like any you know the the leader that I am today as well. So it's the ability to apply that knowledge as opposed to just kind of look at it as a distant memory, but actually say, well, hold on a minute. You know, based on my experience as a recruitment consultant, I need to be preparing the sixteen-year-olds for this. And based on my, you know, my ideas with the outdoor activity sector, I do know that these are the kind of reactions that you get on comfort zone when comfort zones are challenged. So it's it's about utilizing the past, not running away from it, really. And 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 hopefully, I do that as much as possible. Do you see that with the people coming through initial teacher training? Then that they're bringing additional experience. You can, I mean, there is, it's it's such a hard one because teachers, and, and this is the thing as well, we, we'll never have, a, we should never have this kind of this teacher factory idea of mm-hmm. what is the perfect teacher or what does the, yeah. how can we create a perfect teacher? Because actually every single person can be the best teacher that they can be. Mm-hmm. And the best version of themselves and it is, it is very much that case as well when you look you know you can tell and don't get me wrong you can tell those that have come from different roles you can also tell those that have come straight into it but that's not necessarily always a bad thing yeah I completely agree with you on that because my route into teaching was uh I came in a bit later I'd been a, t- a TA and then I didn't do I didn't have a great degree behind me uh, and then it was thanks to the wonderful course tutor at Bristol uh, University and the PGCA for music there who saw that I could definitely teach young people and definitely had the ability to teach. I just didn't have the academic, you know, data, I suppose, to to show that's what they were looking for. And I think it's really important message, actually, because I know that kind of it, things have changed now even the gateposts have changed to getting into teaching you have to have a two one or you have to have a first you know it's all that kind of you must have the best academic scores uh but actually it's the people who like you say you've got all this wealth of experience you've got all the pa- the kind of um past experiences that you can bring to it that actually makes you a good teacher it's not whether or not you've got the grades because sometimes they they might not be able to teach well, that's it, and I think it's about it's in, it's about finding that fine balance, isn't it? And incorporating all of it, and actually understanding that, and that's where there needs to be more of like, and I, I don't necessarily want to say a rigorous application process, but there needs to be more of a fine tuning than you know than being turned away at the first gatepost for something like that. Actually, you know, had it have not been for the fact that I had, um, you know, when, when even when they were 
when I was being considered for my master's, I know that that only took place because of the fact that they had that, you know, I, I had one person who had that sit down conversation with me, that interview with me that lasted about an hour and a half as well. But it was yeah. that that conversation mm-hmm. made them go, well, actually, hold on, you can do it. And I yeah, do yeah. believe that you can do it as well. And it's that that needs to be embedded in it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the person behind the, the data, if you like, that's in front of yeah. you. It's taking the time to see that potential in somebody and and to sort of draw it out and see who has got that potential to teach. That's so important. Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Sarah, you mentioned the word legacy when you were talking as well. Is that something that still drives you? Because you were were keen to to be more than what you were originally. Is is that something that you you still feel a bit driven by? I mean, it's it's, it's always going to be... You, you always want to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And I think that you've always got to be careful. We, we mm-hmm. do, you know, a reflective practitioner and a reflective individual is always going to be the best part, but you've got yeah. to, you've, you've got to know yourself as well. And you have to know your own, not only is it about knowing your own capabilities, but it's about knowing your own limits, knowing, Knowing yeah. your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing those moments where you need to ask for help, mm-hmm. knowing those moments, and, and and it is it is your reflection on your legacy that drives that forward. It's it's about understanding, pers- like you know, possibly the mistakes or or any kind of actions or anything that you've done in the past, and and how you can then go right, okay, how am I going to develop as a person going forward? And- That's so important, isn't it? That reflection rather than just being totally driven for whatever it is yeah absolutely oh exactly and if you've only got one goal in mind for the end of it what happens when you reach that one goal like you know Mm -hmm. it's it's about just constantly thinking okay how can I develop as a person and how can I support those people around me that want to develop as well and you know and it's not just in in your work balance it's your work-life balance it's you Mm -hmm. know it's your relationships it's your friendships it's it's about you know it's not making the same actions or you know again and again and not repeating any cycles from it it's learning from it isn't it as you move through yeah so you took on leadership relatively quickly within your teaching career did it help having that background of other experiences to draw on I do think I, I do actually think that that is one of the one of the ways in which a different route into teaching does actually help in the fact that you can draw on other experiences so it's like, you know, it is, it is like thinking about the fact that you have had these kind of conversations in the past or, you know, any kind of dialogue that needs to be had. You, you have had, you know, you've had incidents or you've had circumstances where you have had to have similar communication and, and how you've reacted in those kind of situations. And you're bringing that wealth of experience to the table as well in, in the fact that, and we talk about one of the biggest things, particularly when you move up in leadership is, understanding you know where is your domain where is your domain knowledge where you know but then having the ability to really draw on the rest of your team as well because at the end of the day you can't be an effective leader if you don't have a team um and it's that team ethos and it's that that development of that team which is the key priority and it's about having you know having a discussion with everyone first off to kind of establish all right who do I need to, you know, who are those people that want to 
progress in regards to a pastoral approach who are those people that want to progress into leadership who are those people that want to progress in regards to just developing their own pedagogical knowledge their own and it's you know about by just really having those kind of conversations first off which might not have been everyone's kind of conception but by having like really drilling in on each of those individuals first that's what drives it forward and I think a lot of those decisions were taken from previous experiences you've just taken on a a new role haven't you in in your school as you mentioned before what what is the difference between the roles and and I was going to ask what advice you might give to anyone taking on a new role this year so obviously this year has been quite an interesting one because um it's it has it's been a move from middle leadership to senior leadership um you know what it's an interesting i like you know it's it's interesting and it's not necessarily the the, the term interesting with like negative connotations <laughs> yeah. how else are you supposed to i am fortunate in the fact that i absolutely love what i do i mean getting getting my head around the the extensive amount of offer and packages that we have at, for teachers at the moment is it is huge it's it's a ginormous task but it's one that I am actually enjoying because I'm going right okay how can I take you know pathway a pathway b pathway c and how can I actually provide them with sessions and and support and guidance that actually is applicable to all and can be identified for all the support so you know that is something that I absolutely adore doing a lot of what you know, I was fortunate to come as as a head of department of a core subject. A lot of what I did anyway was you know quite high on the scale. I would say that you know the biggest struggles are obviously maintaining that that you know maintaining that consistent approach in how you perceive your work like balance. Um, you know, you do, it takes a lot more strength to turn around and go, well, actually, today, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to take my laptop home. Uh, you know, and, and these are like, you know, it's the little things and it's the things that I always share with other people that are like, I'm, I'm struggling. Right, okay, set yourself, and, and, and it sounds ridiculous. And, and, it, and you're like, of course, you shouldn't be taking your laptop home. No, you know, don't, don't do that because, you know, you, but there are so many people, if you, there are, if you was to do kind of like a, a, a poll on it, I, I'd, I'd like, well, I'd hasten to think at least 60% of people would would say that actually they're taking some form of work home with them. And it's about kind of going, right, okay, how can we break that cycle? But how can you do it in a way that's not completely cold turkey? How can you do it yes. in a way that's that's not you going, oh, like walking out feeling like a rebel or anything? <laughs> how, how do we get it so that actually ensuring that there is a work-life balance isn't you know isn't isn't a red word like you know a rude word so to speak or a tokenistic word and the other Mm -hmm. side of it you know how is it something that is embedded into practice and something that is actually you know is applicable to all and all are doing it but how it's done is based Mm -hmm. on the individual 
yeah, it's got to match the individual, hasn't it? And it, it's got to not make life more difficult. You know, not taking the laptop home for some people is just so much the right thing to do. Mm. But if it then means they're not prepared for the following day, it might not be the right thing for that person. And it, it's sort of balancing that, isn't it, almost? And also balancing for you as a senior leader now who um, is in the same school as what you were a middle leader, you have this kind of subconscious responsibility because people are going to be looking to you as a role model, I suppose, a senior leadership to kind of, you know, your you, I, I guess, would need to be modelling the ideal work-life balance for people looking to you, and that's extra pressure almost on you, because you need to get done what you need to get done. But at the same time, you know, we do look to senior leaders, I suppose, to model how we would expect the rest of the staff to kind of go about their yeah. their practice and their work-life balance, as you say. How do you do that, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's it's about really ensuring and, and, and understand, allowing people to understand the fact that, you know, first of all, nobody's an automaton in any way, shape or form. There are going to be circumstances where something might happen or something might, you know, I am a mother of two children. One of them is, is prone to... Um, quite a lot of like you know chest infections and everything that typically involve a lot of A&E visits so there will be times where I'll spend all night in a day I might have like a couple of hours in the morning and, and then have to come in a bit later or I might just come in straight away and it's it but I am aware of that you know I mean I am I'm not hiding that in any way yes. shape or form and putting on this face of everything is what do you mean there's something wrong everybody I have spoken to over the past two weeks has known that I have the flu because I have mm-hmm. told them like I have yes. I have played that for like violin like there is no tomorrow but not not in a kind of you know a negative windy way but more apologetic over the way that I've sounded and it's the the thing with that work-life balance is like I say it's what works for for people you know and it what works for each individual person and we've speaking to a lot of obviously our new staff and new starters it's very easy to become consumed by this idea and and I suppose it is for anyone it's even you know if you transitioning from um teaching to middle leader middle leader to, to senior leader it's very easy to become lost and you can't see the wood through the trees and you know one of the things that I heard quite a lot this week was well I'm, I'm just literally trying to to get through one day at a time yeah. And, and, and get from one day to another. And that, those are the moments where we are like, okay, stop. We're going to stop. We yeah, have yeah. to stop now. And we're going to sit down. And we're not going to leave this place, despite the fact that obviously, like, you know, this is the, uh, we are saying that time is valuable, but we're not going to leave until we can actually identify how that valuable time can be used effectively going forward you know and it's it's about looking at things like all right so marking strategies planning strategies how to to develop those and I mean I'm quite fortunate in the fact that and you know I I love my subject and I love teaching English but I am teaching a core subject in year 11 as well as doing these roles yeah so you know every time that they're doing an assessment there is a slight Mm. tear that's running down my eyes like you know because I've got two different classes so I'm going it's okay but at the same time what that means is I'm able to then kind of say yeah uh, you know there are going to be moments where you might feel um you know you, you might get that lump in your throat or you might get where the chest feels a bit tight 
and and it's about how we're going to manage that going forward so taking it those steps at a time and no it's not always perfect and that's another thing about saying as well no like you know no senior leader is perfect the perfection doesn't exist it's Um, almost doing it from the sort of the the point of wanting the best for everyone within that system rather than trying to be perfect yourself isn't it and also the the self-recognition is the most important thing is that it's the self-recognition of hang on a minute like you said my chest is feeling a bit tight I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed I need to speak about this and having the opportunity to speak to someone who gets it having a school leadership who absolutely is self-reflective saying yeah let's take check let's just stop let's see what's what how do we move forward from here that's the important bit it's when people don't feel like they can speak uh, that's when it gets to the problem isn't it this is it and it's absolutely terrifying to you know and and like when you discuss with practitioners and you you're discussing with other people and um, and they, they they're saying like they don't feel like they have a voice or they're saying like they don't feel like they're supported it is very much you know it's that kind of role and responsibility you go right well hold on i you know we need to know why we can do something as about leaders it. what mm-hmm. can we do about it and i think it's about making sure that you've got that clarity and that communication that really is more preventative as opposed to reactive and mm. not necessarily preventative as even it's going to completely solve all of the no, problems no. of the world life yeah. balance but is it going to be at a time is that discussion going to be at a time where that person is feeling slightly overwhelmed by it or is that discussion going to be at a time where that person is at their end of the tether with it mm. and mm. it's about making sure that everybody knows that actually it's that first point and and that every single voice is equally important in a school and it's like they say like we we don't talk about the dreaded the dreaded inspections or anything like that but there is a particular reason why they only talk to senior leaders for a certain amount of time and then they go out and they want to talk to everyone else because actually it doesn't matter what the like you know what any leader can do in an office it's all about what is happening on it's the ground in the classroom right? yeah and yeah. and that's where it's so important to just make sure that everybody's voice is heard as well yeah just thinking about your voice though you're you're well known for talking about oracy aren't you for those people who don't understand what oracy is yet what what is it so oracy is is basically the understanding of how to be an effective communicator. Um, so you've got, you know, just to, to kind of put it into the premise of it's typically associated with that triad. So you've got the fundamental skills of literacy, numeracy and oracy. Now, more often than not, oracy is almost embedded into our appreciation and our understanding of literacy. Um, and that is if it's approached at all. Now, oracy as a skill is something that is almost it's it's very regimental it's it's very monitored it's assessed when you look at early careers and when you well when you look at the early years framework when you look at um, you know going into primary school all of that child development is is monitored in that way and that's part of the oracy but actually after that we begin to see it as more of a and this was where the the idea for the book came from because of the fact that I suddenly started reflecting on and it's talking about bringing in your legacy again where where have you come from from it suddenly started reflecting on the fact that our speaking and listening skills are only actually explicitly interpreted in mfl studies and in english as almost and it is an add-on it's not even part of their gcse it's it's 
an, an endorsement of it. And it's, you know, and when you start thinking about it like that, despite the fact that actually oratory skills are those skills that you are going to have to take with you post academia, no matter what role that you go in, then we're actually, we as an education system really need to think about, well, hold on a minute, how are we developing effective communication in our students are our students actually prepared for life outside of school can mm. they hold conversations and they you know when it, in the book we talk about oracy and we talk about oracy skills and we always go back to that oracy framework and it's this idea that of understanding that oracy is more than just speaking skills you know it's yes. not just spoken language it's about the cognitive skills involved it's about the social and emotional side of it it's about understanding the behavioral side it's 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 the body language that is being yes. presented as well and it's the ability to read all of these points and you know it's it's even going as far as saying you know if, if you have some establishments that turn around and go well we do speaking and listening do you though do you do speaking and listening or do you do speaking and speaking and you go well what do you mean it's going right well uh, can you guarantee that those people are listening or are they preparing what they're going to say next and in those kind of cases, what you haven't got there is an established oracy skill. What you've got there is almost like a scripted monologue as opposed to a dialogue. Yeah, it looks right, but it's not actually effective, is it? Exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, I, even just as much as conversations, I remember a conversation that I had with uh, one of the practitioners that dedicated, like, you know, that, that supported the book and that has put a case study in there. Um, he was talking about, key stage five and the conversation came around where I asked him to put some things in when he, we, were, we were just talking we were like we were literally casually talking and he was frustrated because he was explaining that we had these high performing students that were excelling in their subjects absolutely phenomenal skills but weren't getting the university places and the reason that they weren't getting the university places is because they weren't necessarily being prepared with the interview questions mm. to sell themselves mm. and to articulate what they're trying to say in those kind of mm. situations and I feel like that's where we do have the potential of letting a lot of students down if we don't explicitly address these things across all of the key stages. How do you do that though? I think the, the biggest one you know that's come out of it and when we look at all of the different approaches because there are so many as well it's not just a case of turning around and going well we've got a debate club now so we're in Britain like, yeah. you know that's that's the biggest but that, that could be certain students can't it and it's almost how do you embed it across the board there like, we everyone, go so they all get it and you know it's very much a case of just explicitly recognizing those skills having those discussions so something as simple as embedding think pair share into your everyday practice why is that so important well actually it gives them time to articulate it gives them time to communicate it gives them time to reflect on what they say and and to be able to formulate an idea before they write it down so you're avoiding a bit of fear of failure there you know it's things like addressing restorative justice and restorative practice so when we're looking at behavior quite a lot of a breakdown in communication and one of the things that I found and it was all through the research but a lot of our break like you know a lot of breakdown of behavior problems come in a breakdown of communication they come in miscommunication and a misinterpretation and that's from both parties so actually in those kind of circumstances the restorative justice is so important to really kind of embed and, and ingrain with with the, as to why it's so important or as to what's happened that has has caused that to happen you know so 
it's about just being explicit. Okay, we've had this discussion now because um, the tone of your voice was was quite aggressive when you said that. And and sometimes, if you really kind of focus on that, they won't have even realised that the tone of the voice would have been an aggressive one. But because you've reacted and mirrored their tone of voice in that way, instead of almost like diffusing the situation by acknowledging, look, this is what's happened, that's where those issues have happened. What, what do you think has been the cause of this so we, we're talking about young people who can't who have got great you know academic skills or who are really kind of getting to that point where they're, yeah, they're getting interviews at university and then they're getting let down potentially on the the oracy of it which is you know being able to uh communicate and and like you say sell them what is the 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 cause do you think that that is that is that's happening I suppose as to why they can't which is really think, bad oracy on my part because I didn't really explain <laughs> that very well, but I think you get yeah. the point. <laughs> well, that's that is entirely it, actually, and that that is that's a prime example. It's this idea of it's thinking on the spot, isn't it? It's about being passionate about your subject, but it's about having those that that cognitive ability to to formulate it quite quickly. And I mean, we talk about it's like when we talk about interview skills, don't we? And there's always that water on the table. That water is on the table, not for you. Like you know, you're not going to suffer dehydration in 20 minutes that you sat there at the desk. Actually, that will give you valuable seconds just yeah. to formulate your plan, even by sharing like you know information like that with students that's something that they'll be able to take with them and that's something that they'll be able to take on with them and it's it is just it's this ability to articulate do you think it's do you think it's because we've all kind of gone a bit insular so I mean I'm not I know this isn't just a, a recent thing this has been something that you know I think young people have maybe struggled with for a long time but you know with the rise of like we've all got a mobile phone in our hands so we're used to texting we're used to chatting on on group chats or text chats and then we kind of have the the bit where we're actually physically isolated from people so we're not seeing people as much we're not in front of people as much we've kind of gone inwards a bit do you would you would you recognize that or oh yeah no definitely and we are seeing that at the moment with students I mean I I remember just how silent quite a lot of the classrooms or quite a lot of the students were particularly when we started to return back and it was for some people they hadn't communicated with anyone in a certain amount of time and then when you think about obviously how 21st century technological advances I mean the irony of that is the fact that actually we're more dependent on acknowledging body language or we're more dependent on acknowledging because we mm. use emojis do you yes. know what I mean we actually and our use of emojis is just to reiterate the message or the tone that we were trying to present in the first place so actually yeah. we've we've come more full like you know round circle of developing those oracy mm-hmm. skills because when you think about you know when you think about professional standard letters and professional standard emails that is (laughs) what we have to check for isn't it we have to check that the tone is right it's not presented too harshly it's not presented too sarcastically it's not presented in a way that's too sternly or too lackadaisical and actually you can throw at the end of a text message an emoji (laughs) that pretty much summarizes exactly what you're supposed to do anyway and it's yeah we are seeing that idea of and it's, but it's about bringing that into the spotlight and saying to students, OK, this is what you do. 
you know, when we talk about exposing students to reading and exposing students to different forms of text as well, I think in order to do that, we have to acknowledge this is how you text, but is it how you speak? All right, this is how you speak, but how do you speak to different audiences? And it's about really pulling it back to go forward and going, right, well, what's the difference between me and your friend? What is the difference between someone who is interviewing you and someone, you know, and, and your your brother or sister and it's it's about understanding the fact that actually audiences and tones have a significant impact on the message that we're trying to give across and it is going to be for a lot of students it's about explicitly presenting that message back to them and that's not just something that needs to be shared in English it needs to be or you know it needs to be a form time it needs to be during all lessons all subjects that that they're actually going okay how would this be presented? How would you present yeah. this in an interview? How would you review this? Is there also an element of of what's valued as well? If you know, if if honestly, if if how you present yourself in person, your body language, the way that you speak, the way that you write is valued, then then that's something people are going to put time and effort into. Just like if you know, if if um, academic qualifications of like your maths or your English GCSE is what's valued, that's where the effort's going to go. And is there just a need to sort of to put it to the fore and to make sure that it is valued. Well, that's it. Is it? And I think it does need a lot more of that that value being attached to it. It does need to be recognised for just how significant it is. Because I know that a lot of schools don't necessarily focus on oracy because it's not part of Progress 8. It's not part of the assessment side of it. And as a result of that, it almost gets thrown onto the back burner when actually... It's about understanding, hold on a minute, if you've got that right, and if you get that right, actually everything else will rise as a result of it, because you're actually producing reflective students that are able to articulate themselves in a range of topics, in a range of different approaches and tones. And it's it's about, you know, it's about shining that spotlight and saying, look, it will add for you know the time that you're kind of saying this is what we need to focus on but the actual the positive repercussions of it will far outweigh anything else other strategies that you can use that are almost like the quick fixes what this is is, is doing is is embedding those skills that those students will then take with them all the way through their lives yeah I used to have a real battle with students when I was teaching music and I'd say you know why do you like that piece of music and they just couldn't tell me. They just couldn't tell me why they liked something. It's like, you know, it's something that quite we think is quite basic. They just couldn't articulate it as well as they might do if they were given 10 minutes to write about it, for example. That's it. And it's about having that. And it's it's like you said, it's it, and it's not just the articulation. It could also be the confidence of it as mm -hmm. well. And it's yeah, about definitely. building on that confidence. And actually, if we can build on that confidence, not only are we able to build on their confidence and show that they've got that articulation to talk about something, but hopefully as well, we're allowing them to build on that confidence to the point that they can have their voices heard. And they mm. know that they can actually, when they speak, that they are listened to. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that nice. they can present it in a way that they do that as well. We're coming to the end of our conversation, sadly, which, uh, we, funnily enough, I think we could talk about this for a long time. Um, <laughs> um, but what's next for you, Sarah? What's what's coming up? What, what are you looking forward to in the next 
kind of oh, rest of the term. I suppose it's half term coming up <laughs> soon in a few weeks. That's what you're looking forward to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. That, we're, we're going to manage to get a couple of days away during the half term, which will be which will be so good. Um, nice. We are, uh, so I will be, I'm doing a virtual for Mentor Ed. Um, mm-hmm. And that will be um, the 30th, which is amazing. Um, that will be a fun fabulous experience and you know and then next well in november have unwittingly agreed to take uh, 40 of our beautiful students and they are they are absolutely gorgeous <laughs> 40 of our beautiful students to london for three days oh. um <laughs> it's 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 going to be you know what it, it is it's going to be such an exciting adventure um mm. i probably will need a lot of sleep afterwards yeah. um i, I did five days know. in paris with 40 kids you do need oh. a lot of sleep after it <laughs> yeah. uh, oh no and th- but i think that's the problem though because it's literally because it's friday to uh, it was wednesday to friday and then as soon as that happens the weekend hits but yeah. i have a two-year-old and a 10-year-old so it's it's I might just see whether anyone's feeling kind and can, you know, <laughs> babysit for a couple of days just to give me a bit yeah. of a rest. But no, it, we, it, we've got a busy, obviously, you, you know, you talked at the start about October being a, a slog and it is, it is that first term mm. is, it pushes it's us all fun. to our limits, definitely. And, mm. and I think we'll claw our way to Christmas um, as gracefully as we can. Um, all of the te- like you know I, I think every single person in the world's going to claw, claw themselves to that Christmas but no it's it's going to be busy it's going to be hectic but I, I'm quite excited amazing and um, you know we should say actually you know at Twinkle obviously we're all ex-teachers and leaders and stuff but we do completely recognize the amount of effort that goes into to what people are doing right now and what they're faced with which is a complete unexpected out of the ordinary situation that everyone is facing right now and you know our thanks and appreciation from Twinkle does go out to all the teachers and leaders out there and everyone who works in education because goodness me you're doing a brilliant job and uh we really appreciate it. Yeah. If people want to get in touch with you, Sarah, or if they want to buy your book, where do they look? How do they find you? So the book is available at John Cat Ed and also via Amazon. It's talking about Oracy, developing communication beyond the classroom. Um, I'm also available on Twitter at sjdavies87. Um, and then from there, you'll be able to see I've got uh, a blog post that's the realistic teaching wordpress um and those are the, the the key ways to get hold of me really because you know i've had quite a lot of people um get in touch with me over the time to ask if i can support them always willing to help in any way shape or form so just drop me a message fantastic thank you so much for coming today i'm so glad we've managed to work it out technically technically this thank time thank you sarah it's uh, been yeah. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on today and uh, have an amazing half term when it comes up and we'll be in touch with you. Keep in touch with uh, Twinkle SLT. Yeah, fabulous. Thank you for having me. All right, lovely. Take care. Thank you very much, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Talking Teachers brought to you by Twinkle SLT. We have resources for all school leaders and SLT, whether you're middle leader, senior leader, to help you lead your school effectively and save time. Check us out at twinkle.co.uk forward slash SLT. See you next time.